This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. If people experience something that's transformational, does it matter if it happened online or if it happened in the building? Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and I'm a small church pastor, and welcome to this episode of Can This Work in a Small Church? My podcast guest today is Jason Moore, and the subject is online and in-person worship. Jason is the founder of the Both End Seminars. They help churches of all sizes create a better worship experience for both the online audience and the in-person congregation. In this conversation, Jason and I talk about how a church of any size can use online and in-person church to make each a better experience for worshipers. So if you're having a hard time with your online experience, or even if you're doubtful about its value, I encourage you to listen to Jason's heart, his experience, and his ideas. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and an answer to the question, can this work in a small church? So, Jason, welcome today to the podcast. I sure appreciate your time. Glad to be here. Now, you you started a ministry called Both And, and with that title, it could mean virtually anything. <laughs> so tell me what Both And, where did Both And begin? What brought you into it? And what is it all about for those listeners who haven't heard about you or it at all? Sure, sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to have the conversation. I'm glad to glad to chat with you. So my ministry, uh, Midnight Oil Productions, uh, I've been doing for quite a while. My focus has really been for 20 more or more years now on in-person worship. And I teach pastors how to do collaborative worship design and all those sorts of things, uh, how to do hospitality, guest readiness, and so on. And then, of course, like happened to everyone last year when the world shut down, it meant that my world shut down as well. Uh, just in the course of like three days, I had six events that I was supposed to go do in person, uh, cancel events where I was teaching people the collaborative worship design process and guest readiness and so on. And so uh, there was a little bit of a precursor to both and, but I can tell you how we got to both and. I had done a consultation for a church, kind of a smaller church in the Denver area that had me come out and do a secret worshiper consultation. So I just showed up and gave them perspective on everything from signage to hospitality and so on and so forth. And I got a kind of a panicked call last March from the pastor of that church who said, Jason, we implemented all the stuff you shared with us, but they just shut our church down. We can no longer meet in person. Would you be willing to secret worship our online worship experience. And so I said, sure. And I wrote up some notes for him and realized in reading over those notes that so much of what I had to share with him, uh, really, it would apply to any church that had to jump online during this pandemic. So I asked if he minded if I turned it into a little uh, short article. And so I put it out on Facebook. It was five ways to improve your stream before next week. And the day after writing that, I started having, I do a lot of work in the United Methodist Church world. I started having United Methodist leaders contact me and say, would you turn that into a webinar for us? So actually that was called Telling the Old Story in a New Time. It was about how to do online worship. And the further we got into the pandemic and when I started to recognize that people were going to come back into the room, 
I started to get a little concerned about what happens after a year of doing worship online. When we get people back in the room, we might very easily go backwards and not go forwards. And so I developed this training that I call Both And, Maximizing Hybrid Worship for In-Person and Online Audiences, with the intent of creating worship where no one feels like an afterthought. So you do worship for people in the room, both in the room and online at home. And also you're creating an experience for people who might also watch on delay, not just in the moment. So how do we create an experience where we don't turn the people in the room into the studio audience for the people at home? We don't turn the people at home into observers of an experience that the people uh, are having in the room. And we also open it up so that if you watch it on delay, it still feels like it applies to you as well. So I know that's a big nutshell, but that in a nutshell. Because there's a lot of movie parts to it. It feels to me like I'm old enough to remember when the television morning shows, and if you're under 30, there's a thing called TV where you used to have to watch it at the time it happened. And there were shows called morning shows. They still exist if you check them out. And and I remember, maybe it was GMA, Good Morning America or Today Show were the first ones to take go outside the studio. Actually, before Uh they did that, they used to be just inside a studio, static, kind of like you and I sitting here right now, just in a studio. And then they realized, hey, we're on, we're in the middle of New York. What if we did it with a window behind us so people could see the traffic and the people passing by? And that gave it a dynamic. And then they thought, what if we actually took a portion of the show outside and actually broadcast outside and put concerts on outside and talk to the people outside? And that gave it a whole new dynamic so that what you had was, the person watching at home got a better experience because the people who were physically there were engaged in the process. And the people who were physically there felt like they were a vibrant part of putting this broadcast to the people at home. Each enhanced the other, right? Is that a, a kind of a feeling of what, what you're talking about here, where each enhances the other rather than, so we're not talking about shoving a camera in the pastor's face. And now if you're sitting in the room, you've just got something in your way. You're talking about enhancing everybody's experience. Absolutely. I really believe that with a both and experience, you have the opportunity to really shape worship, allow the people that are not present in the room to help shape the experience in some ways through chat, through Zoom, uh, you know, things like that. One of the ways that I've been trying to help people wrap their head around what I mean when I say both and is to think about the difference between going to the stadium to watch the football game versus watching it in your living room. You're experiencing the same game at the same time, but the people that work at the stadium, the vendors, uh, you know, the, the people who sell souvenirs, all that, they're really there to give the people at the stadium a great experience. And the people that are behind the cameras, the people in the broadcast booth, they're really focused on the people at home, but we're experiencing it together at the same time. And there are advantages to both. You know, if you're at the stadium, you get to participate in the crowd, the the wave, the all that energy that you have in that communal experience. And then the people at home, you know, they have close-ups and instant replay and commentators and uh, cheaper snacks and more comfortable seating and <laughs> yeah. less disgusting. And <laughs> yes. Uh, although I would say that what we don't get in that experience that I do think is possible in this new era of worship is uh, what I call a dialogue. It used to be that worship was a monologue. It was one leader or leaders basically broadcasting something, you know, to the congregation. And now we have this back and forth opportunity, which I think is really exciting. And And I think what will potentially take us to a whole new level where the church is concerned, regardless of 
your church size or your style or how much money you have or how many people you have, or if you're in the city or in the, in the country or, or whatever. So it, it's a neat, neat thing and a great opportunity, I think, for the church. Yeah, what's fascinating to me about it is as little as two years ago, online felt like an option to most churches and in fact was an option for a lot of churches. It, it didn't necessarily have to be done. One, the technology that we have today was barely there. And you really had to have some serious money to be able to do it. And two, the need for people to have to do it at home simply didn't exist. It was like, except for those who uh, had disabilities or those who were seniors and were shut in, you know, we, we want to work very hard to make sure that they're included. But aside from a very small percentage of the people who physically couldn't make it, there wasn't the need for it. Then all of a sudden, like literally instantaneously, what was your first article entitled how to get up to speed in four days or something like that? Yeah. It was like five ways to improve your online experience before next week or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, because that's what happened to us. We weren't on, Online and on a Tuesday, we were told you better get online because you're not going to open up the building on Sunday. Yeah, and we had yeah. four or five days to get online, so it happened literally instantaneously, and it happened to correspond with the time when all of a sudden, technologically, we can do it surprisingly inexpensively. Yes, now, you can spend a ton of money to go high quality, but you can yeah. actually get the online experience in most situations for free yeah. using phones you already have a mic you already own, it won't be the high quality of elevation, but that's fine. You're not elevation. That's not who this podcast is for in case you haven't figured out by the title of the podcast, can this work in a small (laughs) church? (laughs) Yeah. So as long as you've got Wi-Fi capabilities, which I understand there are some who do not have that still in some rural areas. So I'm very well aware of that. But if you've got Wi-Fi capabilities, all of a sudden the on-ramp for this has really lowered and it's, it's, it's much easier. And the necessity of it became instantaneous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say too, Carl, that the reality is you can still do hybrid worship even without internet in your building. And and I can okay. I can say I can say more about that as we get into our conversation. But um, in the Talk smaller about it churches, now because that's okay. That, that's that's, a, that's an upfront challenge for a lot of folks. Yeah. Listening. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that. In my both and training, I really outlined three different models for what I call both and worship. I talked first about what I call pre both and worship. And that's the idea that you might pre-record your online experience of worship and then have the people in the room be there for the in-person experience where you don't have a camera. So you basically pre-record, which means you don't have to have internet in the building. You record your sermon, you record some of your music, whatever liturgy or other elements of worship look like, and you do a pre-recorded version. And so then you're doing both and because you're reaching the online through a pre-record and and the in-person, in-person. The second type I talk about, and I think it's the one that everyone really wants to be at. And and when most of us think of streaming worship, it's the one we think of. And that is real-time both-and worship. And that's the idea that in the moment, you have people in the room and you're broadcasting at the same time. You're streaming live in that moment. Now, there are some challenges I think we have to overcome and things we have to think about when it comes to that. We can get to some of those things. A part of it is, that what you do in the room doesn't translate one-to-one at home sometimes. So length is an issue. I have done a couple of events uh, with Nona Jones, who's this incredible uh, pastor, leader, works for Facebook as uh, the director of faith-based partnerships. And uh, we did an event last year. I spoke at an event she spoke at, and uh, she recommended 40 minutes or less for your online experience of worship with really 25 to 35 minutes as a sweet spot 
But in person, we want to gather for the full hour or, you know, more depending on your context. So I think you can even do both and in real time in a way that you get to do both of those. You can stagger the front of your, you can basically start your in-person worship and then go live partway into it and even come out of it. So you pocket a 40 minute experience within an hour. Um, You can also consolidate the experience uh, so that everyone's experiencing the same thing. I could get into more nitty gritty on that, but but for now I'll I'll go to the yeah, third one, yeah. which yeah. is the one that most of the small churches I'm working with have really taken to, and I think see some real value in, and it's what I call post both and worship, and that's the idea that you would uh, have cameras in the room recording what you're doing as you do worship, and then you'd post it after that worship is over, which gives you the freedom. Uh, number one, to cut it down a little bit if you wanted to get to that 40 minutes. So maybe you take the sermon and some of the songs and maybe not all of them or some of the elements of your worship experience. Uh, there's one church that I'm working with. Well, I'm not I'm not working with them. I guess I'm talking a lot about them. Uh, they're here in Ohio where, where I live. Um, I work part-time for one of our United Methodist districts and they're in our district, uh, which is like a collection of churches in the area. And their name will tell you everything you need to know about them. And it will tell you everything you need to know if you're a small church and you think we can't do this. Their name is Farmersville United Methodist Church. There you go. And they're they're exactly the way they sound. They're in the middle of nowhere. They don't have a huge congregation. They don't have spectacular technology. They don't have fast enough internet to stream well. But what they do is at 9 a.m. they meet for worship in person. They have cameras that are recording it. Earlier in the week, they'll record a couple of announcements and some other elements of worship. And then at 9.45 or 9.50, when their worship is over, they immediately take the sermon, a couple of songs, a couple other elements, put those all into the video editor where they already had the announcements and some pre-recorded things. And then they may even have to drive into the city. I'm not sure. And they upload it and it's online by 11 a.m. So you can either come to their nine o'clock worship experience that's live in the room, or you can attend the 11 o'clock online experience of worship you know, it's soon enough after that it still feels like it's two offerings on the same day. And they're not a mega church. They don't have a big budget. They're not even super tech savvy. So I've been trying to help churches see that there are multiple options. And while we all want to live stream, I think there are some great things that we can do in the way of interactivity and participation in real time. Uh, Don't uh, eliminate the thought that you could pre-record and be online, or you could even post edit and be online too without internet in the building. Yeah, the post both and is what we did for a long time when everything began, we would record at well, when we couldn't all gather in the building, we recorded it all and just put it up on Sunday. But then when we were able to gather, but a lot of folks couldn't come with us, we would record one of the services and then edit it down and put it out. Or we actually did it in advance. We did it as a YouTube premiere for those weeks Mm -hmm. that we couldn't meet in person. And I've actually been talking about, there are some, especially for smaller congregations, if you're in a smaller church and you don't have uh, Wi-Fi. And secondly, let's be honest, I mean, maybe your music isn't up to par that you really want to put out and have everybody see before they show up because they might not show up, right? There's, there's <laughs> portion, I, I've been through that whole thing. I went, I've been through a decade or more of embarrassed yeah. over the music. I get exactly what that is, but maybe yep. the preaching's pretty good. So you do the service, you record the whole thing, and then you edit it down to the part that one, you think you've done best and two that you think is going to pull people in. And yep. maybe, maybe you just do the preaching and you do it as a YouTube premiere. So you tell them at this yep. time, this is going to be available. And if you want to watch it at the premiere time, 
the pastor or a staff member or somebody else will actually be there on the chat and can have a conversation with you yes. while the YouTube premiere is happening. So it can bring in an interactive dynamic by delaying it and putting it out later, right? Absolutely. There's a church I'm working with right now in Wisconsin that that would, uh, I would say, be small to medium. They're maybe 100 in attendance pre-COVID. So I don't know how how we define that anymore. But the pastor actually records it from her basement and actually leaves opportunities for people to respond. So she'll say, what is something you're thankful for today? I'm just going to ask you to put it in the chat. What she does is she does her live service in the morning at 930 or I think that's when it is. 10 something, 1045. She sits in the sanctuary as their pre-recorded one premieres and sits at the chat and welcomes everybody by name. And so that day that I was with them, uh, she said, what's something you're thankful for? And someone said, fresh strawberries. And somebody said, oh, I love strawberries. And someone said, I have a, a wonderful strawberry pie recipe. And the pastor said, oh, I would love a slice of that pie. And so there's all this interactivity that's happening, even though it's pre-recorded, and she's just built in the opportunity for that by pausing and saying, I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on it, put it in the chat. And she just sort of sits still for a second and then moves on. So yeah, and and you can do that with prayer requests too. You know, if you have a prayer request you'd like to share this morning, we are pre-recording this, uh, but I'm in the chat with you. So if you share your prayer requests, I'm there with you right now. I'm going to lift your prayer requests up and you can comment on them. And it's, a, it's the best of both worlds in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there are there are a lot of folks, because I talk with them regularly, who will push back on this, but okay, we're pushing online church, but online church isn't the, isn't the same as being in the room. We need to make sure people are in the room. And I get it. It isn't the yeah. same, Yeah, it, but it's better to be online church than not to be on at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the, my response to that recently has been, uh, cause I have a lot of people saying, well, what if they never come to the building? First, I would say that we are living the great commission in these moments where we're taking the gospel to people all over the place, geography doesn't even matter anymore. In fact, time doesn't matter in the same way that it yeah. did because yeah. it used to happen at a certain time, certain space, and now it can happen. You know, your sermon can affect somebody on Wednesday afternoon uh, during their lunch break. But the way I've been answering this question recently is that I'm a I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I bought Disney Plus so I could watch all the series, and I've gone to the movies. I have a couple Marvel shirts. You know, I've invested money in Marvel, but, you know, I haven't bought a Marvel comic book since I was in high school. Now, does it matter that the only way I've experienced the Marvel universe has been in the cinematic version of it? I mean, I know the stories are a little different, but I mean, I'm invested at this point. If someone experiences the transformational power of Jesus Christ in their lives and it makes a difference, does it matter if they come into the building or not? Now, I'm I'm passionate about in-person worship. I spent 20-something years teaching. I would love to get back to where I'm mostly focusing my time there. But I believe transcendent experiences of worship are possible both online and in the room. If people experience something that's transformational, does it matter if it happened online or if it happened in the building? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a whole lot of the conversation we're having right now of Oh, why can't we get people back in the building? I get the challenge of that when you're showing up and there's not even half the people there used to be. I get yeah. how that feels, but mm -hmm. we've got to shift from this idea that some, somehow we've convinced ourselves that getting people in the building is the point. Yes. Now, when you say it that way, everybody I know will push back and go, no, 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 that's not what I believe. But that is how we're acting. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. The questions I get, the behavior we have is a reinforcement of this idea that it doesn't matter until they're in the building. Now, is in the building better than online? Yes, it is. But like you say, the point isn't to get them in the building. The point is life transformation. And if, yeah. if experiencing something online can bring them into a relationship with Christ so that they then seek out a local congregation afterwards to continue to grow and to be discipled in their fellowship, well, great. But we can't ignore this moment in time where not only do we have the availability to do online worship, this is where I started, right? Two years ago, it was available, but it wasn't quite as necessary. Now yes. it's not just available, it's necessary. Because people's expectations have changed. If you don't have an online worship service, in most places, you might as well not even exist as an in-person church for anybody you're trying to reach. You have closed the door to anybody who's not already in the building by not going online when you have the availability to do so. And again, I understand my rural friends, those contexts are different. I understand all of that. But here's the deal. We got a lot of city folks that are considering and in fact are moving to smaller communities. And if you want to reach out to big city folks that are coming to your small town, you better get online in the best way you possibly can. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Jason, was because it's not just simply is you're not wagging your finger saying get online. You're offering real life practical ways that are doable for churches of any size. Now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlbaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So all of this has kind of been of the philosophy behind it. Let's actually start getting to some nuts and bolts. What are some of the first steps that small congregations especially need to do if they're going to start upping their both end game? I think the first thing that I've been sharing with folks is just a recognition that it's not a one-to-one experience. So some of us, the solution was just to put a camera in the back of the room and go about business as usual. Uh, That's sort of like the equivalent of the NFL putting a camera up in the nosebleed seats and broadcasting that as the game. Uh, It wouldn't happen. You know, the, 
a sense of intimacy is created when the camera is closer. So part of what churches need to start to think about if they haven't already is how can we create moments where people feel like they're a part of it by getting the camera closer, more, more intimate. In uh, the first training I did, I showed a clip of uh, Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers was so good at making you feel like you were sitting in that living room. And the thing is, is it wasn't flashy. It wasn't slick. So first and foremost, I think we have to recognize that we have to uh, reimagine how we capture worship for people online versus people in the room. In the room, you have the advantage of the sacred symbols, the stained glass windows, the woodwork, or if you're in a non-traditional setting, the smoke machines, the moving lights, whatever. We don't have the advantage of any of that at home. So I think first, first of all, we have to reimagine. Uh, one of the ways that I have framed this conversation in my training is to think about how books become films. Many of us don't like the film as much as we like the book. The book gets to be more nuanced. Uh, you know, a book takes days to read, a film is two hours. But in consolidating the story and adapting it and reimagining it, embracing the limits of the new way we're going to tell that story, the upside of a book becoming a film is that uh, more people will see the film than read the book. There are people who will never walk into the bookstore or check it out from the library. And so I think part of it is just recognizing our story hasn't changed, but the way that we tell it has to change a little bit. So up close. The second thing I think any church can do, it doesn't matter what your size is, is to really develop both and language. Here's um, a pet peeve of mine that I've been hearing a lot. We often say in worship, let's stand together and worship. Now, do you really think the people sitting in their living rooms are going to stand up in front of their couch, in front of their smart TV, or with their cell phone in their hand? Probably not. I don't think any of well, us believe it. I, I know <laughs> they're not, because when we pre-recorded our services when we couldn't be in the building, and I was telling people stand and worship, on Sunday when I was watching myself tell myself to stand, I didn't stand. <laughs> 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 yes, right, right. So both in languages, it bring you have to be intentional about it, but it's there's nothing technical about it. So let's start to think in terms of how do we give two sets of instructions. If you're worshiping with us today here in the building, I'm going to invite you to stand together for the reading of the scripture or stand together and worship. And if you're worshiping with us at home today, I'm going to invite you to find a posture that will allow you to fully participate in these moments. Now, that posture is probably going to be in my pajamas with a cup of coffee in my hands, right? But our language gives us a way sometimes that we're not really thinking about the people at home. So another example, even in my own church, which is kind of a medium-sized church, uh, just a few weeks ago, the pastor, uh, the, the teaching pastor, not looking at the camera at all, says, if you'd like to pray with someone this morning, we have care pastors in the back of the room. Now, I was at home that day. My daughter had just turned 13. She had an overnight. We were worshiping from home that morning. And I said to my wife, jokingly, well, I guess I got to jump in the car and drive 25 minutes over to the church because I want to pray with someone. And the really frustrating part about that is they actually have people that hang out in the chat that will pray with you. If you just put your prayer request in, they'll actually engage with you. So it's developing language like if you want to pray with someone and you're here in our space today, well, we want to invite you to pray with one of our care pastors. If you're worshiping with us online, uh, you can uh, put your prayer request in the chat. We'll chat with you. And then here's the other one we need to remember. And if you're watching this uh, at a later time, uh, you can submit your prayer request via email and someone will reach out to you and we would be happy to pray with you. 
I, I want to jump on this because one, yes, I agree. It is extremely important to make those th three acknowledgements, the in-person, the online and the watching later. I also want to acknowledge that it is really, 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 really hard to retrain our brains to do that. Yes. We've been doing that for a year and a half in our church and almost every Sunday at some point we mess that up. So if, if that's the case and you recognize the importance of it, I encourage you for a while, you may have to go off a script. You may have to write it down and put it in front yep. of you in big letters on the pulpit or on the, whatever you're using to hold the, the notes, yes. or, you know, on, on your you know confidence monitor, whatever, put it somewhere to remind yourself because otherwise you will forget. There is something about the physicality of the room that makes us forget that little red light on the camera. Yes. Well, let me give you like three nuts and bolts uh, ways to yep. remember that. Net way number one is in your notes. I have one pastor that I just did a consultation with in Indiana, and this is actually his his idea. Adam uh, Deal is his name. Adam uh, puts a camera icon a couple places in his sermon that he puts it really big, so it's like two inches by two inches. <laughs> he it forces him to make sure that he looks at the camera sometimes to talk to the people at home. You know, he doesn't highlight a whole section or whatever. He just wants to make sure that sometimes he's going to look up. The second thing that I would recommend is uh, investing in a small whiteboard, like a, a grocery list. You can get one on Amazon for eight bucks and a big, thick, dry erase marker that you can write, write the number of people that are worshiping either in real time online or look at your numbers for the last week and see how many people have watched that worship and put that underneath the camera. So if you write 120 people have watched your worship since last week and that's right below the camera, you're going to remember to talk to those people yeah, versus just yeah. talking to the room. And the last one, the last kind of nuts and bolts piece that I recommend, and again, this, this is no matter what size your church is, you can do this. Assign an advocate to your online experience and don't have them watch your worship or worship with you online in the room. Have them go somewhere else in your building, sit in a classroom somewhere. The thing is, is, if you're in the room, you see everything that's happening, you're not going to catch as much. But if you are in another room, you're going to notice when the pastor never looks at the camera or never talks to you uh, as somebody not in the room. Or, uh, you know, I just think eye contact is a huge thing uh, in this season where we're a portion of our people are at, at home. But that advocate can come back to you and say, hey, our transitions today took a long time. So sometimes remember that in the room, you have the full field of view. You can see the people walking from the front pew or whatever up, and it may take 15 seconds. Online, if your camera is locked on that, that pulpit or whatever, it may be 10, 15 seconds of nothing. For an online audience, that's killer. In the room, yep. you can kind of get over yep. it. So we, those are three, we, we, three things you might do. We discovered that a while ago when we first started back in person again. Uh, one service, the front rows were empty and on a camera, an empty seat is brutal. Yes. So one Sunday I wasn't preaching. So I said, let's all make sure we're sitting in those front rows. So I went, I sat in the front row. Problem is we have a very low stage and I'm six foot six. <laughs> <laughs> so it went from from nobody on the front row to what's this shadow blocking everything and it was it was me my big head so i had to realize <laughs> i can't i can't be the one who, who sits there we so we've had to do things like you know getting our youth to sit up front so you've got you get the vibrancy of youth they're a little bit shorter than i am you still got the front row filled in but these are things that when you're in the room it is not a big deal you don't see it but what you're saying now is somebody who's physically watching this outside of the room and sees only what's in the frame, then they have the experience of the at-home person, and they're going to catch things that you simply aren't going to notice in the room. Yes. Yeah. I, and, you know, the other thing that I would recommend 
again, churches of all sizes and stripes, no matter if you do traditional or non-traditional or anything in between, you might also consider doing a like Monday morning quarterbacking session. You're like, watch the film. One of the things that I've seen in so many churches who don't recognize where those errors, where those things are falling apart, those moments of disconnect arise uh, for the outsider. We are often so wrapped up in the development of worship and the deployment of it that we don't ever actually get to experience it. And so we don't even have any real sense of what people at home are thinking or feeling or uh, are experiencing. So I encourage pastors to, with your team, that may be all volunteers, but you maybe one night you get together and you just watch the worship together over a meal. And then you debrief and say, where were the moments we felt really connected? Where were the moments we felt disconnected? How can we find more moments where we're connected and not disconnected and so on? Late night television for me has been so helpful in giving churches a sense of good morale in this season. I don't know if you watched at all what Jimmy Fallon did throughout the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, you know, the show was, you know, band playing, uh, big fancy curtain, studio, audience, three-piece suit, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then when they shut the uh, studio down, like they shut our churches down, uh, we couldn't gather in them. Jimmy took the show home. And in one of my clips, I show this clip where Jimmy is doing his thank you notes and his daughter's are uh, on camera with them. And one is holding up printed out graphics and the other one's playing music off the iPad. And it, his wife is running the camera. She's laughing. It's a mess, but it was so compelling. And what I want churches to recognize, I mean, if that's okay on a national or even an international broadcast, first and foremost, authenticity is more important than being slick or being perfect. So if what you do in front of the camera is more important than what camera you use, you can do this in front of an iPhone or a, an Android or your laptop or three cameras and fancy software. But if you authentically bring Jesus to people and you don't try and be something you're not with this online worship, I believe it will work. And I think a lot of churches breathe a sigh of relief when they recognize that you don't have to be elevation <laughs> to do this. You don't have to produce a concert-like experience. You have to be authentic. You have to be, you have to prepare well, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. What you're talking about is, is so important because there is an intimidation factor when you're in a small congregation that you look at what the big congregations do, especially online now. And you go, I can never measure up with that. So why try? And my response is always, there's a big difference between the big, what well, you talked about earlier, the Marvel production with all the CGI and the million, hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend and a high quality, intimate, conversational picture where adults deal with adult issues and, and resolve them in a meaningful way. And it can passionately tug at your heart for one one hundredth of the budget. But that might be the movie that wins the Academy Award that year, because it's mm -hmm. not a lesser quality. It's simply a different type of quality. So if the big churches have got the moving cameras back and forth and they've got it on a boom and they got the haze and they got the, you know, the worship team singing songs from their latest album, fine. God bless them. That's great. That is a level of quality, but it is equally a level of quality to deliver a high quality heart touching and mind teaching message to someone in a simply close-up frame shot where you can see clearly, where you can hear clearly, where somebody online is engaging with the questions that are happening, where you're remembering to include the online people and the later online people, as well as the in-person people. And none of that costs any money. It's simply 
needs to be done with intentionality. And that yes. intentionality produces quality. That is just as much quality as multi-million dollar CGI. Yeah. You know, for me, I think of it as uh, you can be really high tech and low touch, or you can be low tech and high touch. And if you're low tech and high touch, you can have just as much impact. In fact, you know, we, we sometimes joke about those summer popcorn movies that are just all explosions and, you know, chase scenes and all that. And the movies aren't all that great. I mean, they have a special effects, a special effect without a story is empty, right? But you can have a low budget movie with a really great story and, and some special effects, and it can draw you in uh, at an even greater level. So the beauty of what's happened in this last year, and we're not in competition with any church, but it's leveled the playing field in some ways, because I have seen, there's one church that I know of in Tennessee that had on average 50 people attending in person, and now they're reaching 550 people a week online from all over the country because they're doing such compelling worship. And it's really, again, I'm going to say it again, what you do in front of the camera is more important than which camera you use. And that's so freeing if we can recognize that. I was just at a church last month, uh, an African-American church in Columbia, South Carolina. They're a larger church, but right now they only have about 20% of their people worshiping in the building and 80% worshiping at home still. And they are doing some things that I, I've been telling churches, these are ideas we're stealing. A couple things that I love that really have helped them see themselves as a hybrid church. One is they have a big whiteboard that they have in the room, a big dry erase board, uh, like, you know, four feet by three feet or whatever. And they write the numbers in real time on that board for the people in the room to see. So when I was there, it started out with 30 and then it went up to 50, then it went up to 85. And then I think it went up to like 150 while I was there. And so in real time, the pastor can look over at that. The people in the room can look over and they celebrate that we've got all these people with us. The second thing they did that I just absolutely loved is they had three high top tables with laptops, tablet devices, uh, basically connected to their online worship with the chat happening. They call it their amen section. And so there are three, uh, they call them social media ambassadors sitting at that, that station over there. And so they're in real time chatting with folks as they come in. But because they're the amen section in the African-American tradition, there's this call and response that often happens. So someone might actually yell out, preach it, pastor. And the amen section will give voice to that in the room. So somebody at home writes, preach it, pastor. And someone in the amen section says, preach it, pastor. And it's not that they always do it, but but they have the opportunity to kind of give voice to those people not in the room. What that pastor has told me is that in the last year and a half, their offering has gone up, their missional engagement has gone up, more people are, uh, are participating in Bible study via Zoom than we're coming to the building, their food pantry is better stocked than it's ever been. And that to me tells me they're having, they're creating a transcendent experience of worship that is greater than technology or even the building. And I guess the final thought I would say on that is that my, my friend George Ashford, who's the pastor there, said, I now think of us as being an online church with an in-person option versus the other way around because we're having so much impact with our online ministry. It's not, not saying that in-person doesn't matter, but he's saying we I wanted to do that even so I could rewire my brain and think about how to include people uh, in, in either setting. Yeah, because the way he's talking about it, obviously, this is increasing 
the in-person experience as well by the, the way that they're doing the online. The bottom line is this, before we land the plane here, there's so many places we could go, but uh, I also want to give people a whole, let them know there's a whole bunch of more practical things they can do by getting a hold of you, which we'll, which we'll be putting in the show notes and we'll ask you about how to get a hold of you by the end of it. But for me, the important thing is to understand that we can enhance the experience of both inline and in person for everybody by doing it with greater intentionality. We don't have to sacrifice one for the other. The idea that somehow if I watch something, that was the thing when TV came along, everybody was sure they were gonna shut down movie theaters when TV came along. It turned out, no, more people went to the movies because they were getting a taste of it on TV and wanted to go see it on the big screen. Same thing with broadcasting a football game. Well, if we just show it on TV, nobody's going to show up the stadium. Turns out that is really not true because it yes. gives people an experience of, oh, I want to go in the room and see that. And if we can create a compelling experience and do it well online using these challenging, intentional, but inexpensive and sometimes free ways of doing it by really being intentional about it, we can, in fact, create a better experience for everybody. So uh, that, that's say- our, that hope is a takeaway for everybody. Sorry, I was going to say, I would say that the the argument against online worship pre-COVID was we're afraid if we put our worship online, people won't come. That that was what everyone seemed to think. And then, of course, necessity forced us there. I don't know about your experience, but what I've been hearing all over the country is people are telling me that as well, before this Delta variant started kicking its way up, I had so many pastors telling me I've had more people come to our in-person worship that are guests that are here for the first time than we've had in a long time because they've been worshiping with us online. So I've been saying that online worship is like the taster spoon of in-person worship. You don't have to buy the whole cone. Uh, You can taste it first and decide if you like it and then show up. And some churches are actually seeing more impact in the building now because they were doing online as well. Yeah, we've had exactly that experience. People who are in person now and are fully engaged members of our congregation, some who have come into relationship with Christ, because first of all, they saw what we were doing online that we were forced to do because of the lockdowns. And now they are very much a part of uh, not just the family of Christ, but our local church as well. Uh, But I've seen both. I've also seen others, churches that are obviously struggling with trying to get people back in. For the most part, though, if we can shift our focus from how do I get people back into the building to how do we use every tool available to get the message out, that usually shifts the end result dramatically. If, yeah. if, if we're thinking about getting people in the building, that is a wrong goal, and it won't end up producing what you want it to produce. If our goal is how do we get the message out to as many people as possible using all the means that are at our disposal and be intentional about it, at first it may feel counterproductive. Like if I'm offering it to them at home, they won't come in. The fact of the matter is when you take that step of faith, God honors that faith and better things come than you can even imagine. Agree. We could go to so many different places, but let's jump from this to what everybody is uh, required to be subject to in our podcast, which is the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Well, I think we just spent 40 minutes talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I will say that um, when I got the call, to can you turn that article into a webinar? I said, I don't know how to do a webinar. I've been teaching in person for 20 years. Uh, let me let me see if I can figure that out. And and I figured it out. So taking it online has been a, a huge adaptation. Yeah, doing what you have to do because you have to do it. 
secondly, what free, free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry? You know, I, I can't think of a better free resource than YouTube. I mean, you can learn how to do anything on YouTube. I remember back when I first got my start in ministry, um, I had to pay for all sorts of training videos and that sort of thing. And you can get answers to anything there. A couple other just quick ones. OBS is a software program, open broadcast software or system. I can't remember what the S is. Um, but if you want to take your broadcast to another level, be able to lay graphics on top of show videos and run your phone through that, but then that out to Facebook, it's absolutely free. And a lot of churches are using it and having a lot of success. Unsplash is a place you can go to get free graphics uh, for uh, for churches who don't have a budget for that sort of thing. And then there's all sorts of great um, discounts at techsoup.org uh, for small church, basically any nonprofit. And so you can get access to things like the Microsoft Suite, uh, Adobe, uh, Photoshop, and all those sorts of programs for like a fraction of the cost. So those are some of my favorite ones to share with. That, that's uh, that's yeah, that's a, that's a whole lot of access to a whole lot of great stuff. We'll put all that in the show notes too. Question number three: What's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? I think it would be to know your why. I think when you know your why, your what, and your how uh, are shaped in such better ways and. What I've been trying to get churches to think about just in this last season is we all had to jump online so quick. We skipped to the how and the what, and a lot of us haven't really visited the why. So I think now is the opportunity to say, why should we continue to do this both and thing long term? So that's the best piece of advice I think I've ever been given. I I agree. It's something I'm constantly trying to remind myself back to. And when I talk with others as well, when they ask the how-to questions, I always want to pause and go, let's ask the why question first. And then you may, you may have a very different how-to question after that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then fourth one, what is the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? (laughs) Uh, There's a great video that I use in one of my presentations of a band that uh, went online or church that went online. And there's a guy playing the drums as the bushes. There's a bush in the background that just keeps falling over and over and he just keeps putting it back up and he's still playing the song and the singer up front uh, doesn't know any of it's happening and it's just a riot. So that's that's one of my favorites that I show. You can find it on YouTube. Another one I would just say is I had a pastor friend of mine in the early days of the pandemic not be able to get his phone turned in the right direction and he didn't Uh-oh. curse. He didn't curse, but it was like, it was in worship. It's like, oh, come on. You could hear all of it behind the camera. And uh, I almost fell off my couch uh, listening to it. I felt so bad for him. Oh, Um, my. That could could have been all of us at some point. It it certainly could. And then uh, there's just one final one that for me was both funny and a little painful. But I just watched a service where a pastor projected his entire sermon like out of word on the screen behind him as he was preaching it. So they kept scrolling it up while he was preaching. And I thought, you know, he could fall over at any moment. We could finish the sermon on our own because uh, all of his notes were right. He was reading the manuscript to us that was on the screen. And um, wow, that was funny in the it. wrong way. Funny in the wrong way, I think. I know tech is great when it works and can really be challenging and very um, amusing when it doesn't, at least amusing to the people who are on the other side of it. So, (laughs) Jason, how can people find you online? We have barely, barely, barely scratched the surface. We've really just presented some, you know, some inspirational ideas and little little taste. This has been the taster spoon that you mentioned earlier for what you do. So if people really want to dig in and understand some of the more technical things, how can I actually get my church online? You offer great help for that. How can they get a hold of you to get that started? Uh, They can find me at midnightoilproductions.com. 
I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash midnight oil productions. I'm on Instagram at, at midnight oil PROD. I think that's as many characters as they gave me. So I don't tweet very much. So that's, you'll find me in those places uh, before you'll find me on Twitter. Or you can mail me if you'd like to send an email. I'm at mail, M-A-I-L, mail at midnightoilproductions.com. Terrific. Uh, Jason, you've got a lot of great material out there. You've you've figured out really quickly how to help a lot of churches, especially small to mid-sized churches, get the technical things right. And for those of you who are looking at this and going, but I don't know what to do, that's where Jason will step in. This is just the taster spoon. There's an entire ice cream cone that Jason offers. <laughs> get a hold of him, get started on that process. He understands the small and mid-sized church and has some great practical steps to help us. I sure appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Carl. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing for smaller membership churches. Thanks. Well, as much as we talked about in this podcast, it feels like there's so much more we could have covered, which of course we could have because Jason's got entire seminars on this stuff. So for me, here are some of the essential points. First of all, online worship has gone from a very expensive and very rare addition to the in-person church experience. And now it's become a common and even essential aspect of church ministry. And it did so in a heartbeat. And many of us are playing catch up with it. And that's where Jason wants to step in. Secondly, the online church experience doesn't have to detract from in-person worship. It can actually add to the in-person experience. Thirdly, we need to readjust the goal of church from just getting people in the room to getting the message out. And fourth, the main roadblock to a high quality online and in-person experience isn't money, it's intentionality. So can this work in a small church? Is there a need for online in-person hybrid? I'm going to say yes for this. First of all, it can work in a small church. And secondly, I think we need to be more intentional about it. I don't think it's something that we can just put off to later or even think that we can do without. Yes, it can work in a small church. If first of all, we see the need, we've got to know that this is necessary. Secondly, we have to take the time to think, to experiment, and to be intentional in our online experience. It's not about how much money we spend. It's about how intentional we are about it. And third, we have to keep learning new skills. There's so many new tools available. There are so many expectations that people have about what they need from church even before they walk in the door. They're going to look for us online. We don't have to be expensive to do it, but we can do a high quality experience online. People can see, people can hear, people can be transformed by the gospel before they ever walk in our building. And isn't that the point of it all? If you'd like to become a Patreon partner for as little as $3 a month and help to put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most, check out our Patreon link in the show notes. Do you want a transcript of this episode? It will be available within a few days of the podcast air date at christianitytoday.com slash carlvaders. Find the link in the show notes. This episode was produced and edited by Veronica Beaver. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The podcast logo was by Solomon Joy of joyetic.com. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I'm a small church pastor.